0: We don't, we don't mind this. This reminds us of new life and, and love and beauty. I want to say thanks to Londa and Dave Wilkins. This is Londa's wedding dress. Today is their anniversary, and so they're not here. They're off celebrating their anniversary, but she so graciously loaned us her wedding dress. She said it's much better than just keeping it in a box so she has it displayed in her house. Great idea. So I, this week had to go to three funeral visitations. All three of those folks that I went to view at the funeral viewing were believers in Jesus. And there was a common statement in each of those locations. And it was this. She's in a far better place. So somehow in the mourner's Heart and mind was this belief that there was a hope that went beyond their extreme loss. And all through these years that I've been in pastoral ministry, I've heard a lot of expressions that people use to cope with loss and especially with our own mortality because you cannot go to a funeral and stand by a casket and not think about your family and yourself. How are we going to deal with this mortality? So I've heard a lot of expressions. I've heard people say, well, mom now has her angel wings. And and I appreciate the the sentiment, but honestly, if you look through Scripture, there is no place that tells you that when we die, we turn into angels because humanity is different than angelic beings and will always be different. And if you really want to research, try to find in the Scripture where it tells you that angels actually have wings. Some of you, I just ruined that, that with the Easter bunny and... And you just said, "No, that can't be true." I've heard people say, "Well, Uncle Bob now is looking down on us," and that very well could be. That that when we don't know that that those who have died are watching us right now. But even the whole concept of down on us, because because so, well, from where? Well, from heaven. Where's heaven? Well, it's up there. Well, if it's up there for us, what about the folks that are on the other side of the globe? Where they're pointed? In fact, if you really study heaven, heaven it has no time, has no time or space. It is just, it is so different than a three dimension. So actually, heaven must be outside of our dimension. It's not just up; it's just outside of this dimension. So if Uncle Bob's watching, he may be sitting round, down right next to you, looking at you from a different dimension. I've heard him say, "You know, Grandma's now with Grandpa at a great family reunion," and that's 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 true. Except as I read through the scripture and I see what's happening in heaven, the little glimpses we've had from the prophetic, we understand that the focus is not on each other that we've missed. The focus is that they're bowing down before this incredible being we call the Lord Jesus and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And every time they, they, they say that, then they stop and they, they, they just bow down and they look back up and they say it again over and over again. And it's not redundant because every time they see him, they see a new facet of who he is that just just totally leaves us in awe and that is the way it will be forever and ever. We will never exhaust the understanding of who he is. And so the question is this, what happens to us when we end up here? In Madison, Wisconsin the rector of Grace Episcopal Church John Fetterman tells the story of an elderly woman who died the older woman had never married, and so in her written, reco- written instructions for her funeral, she requested no male pallbearers. And in her handwritten note, she wrote this, They wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is that somebody's going to take you out. And where's that going to be? What's, what's going to happen after that? It's the same thing that Paul the Apostle had to help the church at Thessalonica understand this first century gathering of people who had, who had given up all their idols to follow one God, Jesus Christ. They were under intense persecution because of their belief in Jesus. They were in trouble with the Romans because the Romans said, there is one Lord and it's Caesar. And the Christians were saying, it's not Caesar, it is Jesus. They were in trouble with the Greeks because the Greeks said that there were multitudes of gods. There were more gods in, in the Greek understanding than there are sales at Macy's, and I'm telling you, that's a lot. And so they were also in trouble with the Jews because the Jews said that there was a Messiah who was coming, and the Christians were saying, no, the Messiah is here, which to them was, was so profane blasphemous and so the opportunity to die because of those beliefs was eminent and persecution was certain with that in mind because there are so many that could possibly die and some had and they're wondering what happened to them in this new understanding of who Jesus is because this was all brand new to them here's how Paul responds to the church in Thessalonica in 1st Thessalonians 4.13 Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I want you to circle that, Jesus died and rose again, because it is the center of this entire letter. Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Ginger McGuire. I think we have her picture for you. Ginger was on a flight from Detroit to Philadelphia via Washington, D.C. As she got towards Philadelphia from D.C., which is a very short flight, she fell asleep. When the plane landed, she didn't wake up. The people around her didn't wake her up. The crew didn't know she was in there, and they all left her asleep on the plane. And they locked the plane up. Would that freak you out? She is now suing United Airlines for gross negligence and unlawful imprisonment. What do you bet she never sleeps on a plane again and probably won't fly United? It's the same question that the church in Thessalonica was asking. When we fall asleep, which is a word they use for death, when we fall asleep, are we locked in? What happens from that point? Paul immediately answers, No, we're not. And he focuses their attention to this one thing, which is the Easter thing is the thing. The casket is not the thing. It was never intended, or will it be intended, that it's supposed to end right here. Never. But we have a problem, and that problem has caused us to believe that we are stuck right in this spot. You see, when your loving Creator created this world he created it in such a way that it reflected who he is but it is other than himself in other words when you see this world you have a taste of who God is but it is not totally him he is the creator but they are different we are different my mom created me but I am not my mom she is the creator but I am other than she is And if you spend time with me, you'll see that I look like my mom. If you saw my mom, you'd see that. And I act like my mom in several ways. But there are things that I have done that she would never do. Because she, at that moment, was more mature and had a better understanding of life. When I was a toddler, I rolled over in bed and I smushed our parakeet. The parakeet sang no more. I killed our bird. Now, see, my mom would have never done that. She's more mature. She understood life. I didn't, I, and it was a mistake, but I chose to roll. And the bird could not sing its way out of that situation. My mom would say, Jackie, that's what she called me, Jackie, is a good boy, but he's not perfect. When your creator created this earth, he looked at it and said, this is good, but it's not perfect. Because he gave us the ability to make choices and sometimes we roll over and we shmush. We create issues and problems by our decisions, sometimes on purpose, sometimes we were not even aware, but we did, and we cause pain and death into other people's lives. Not intending. God said, I created you and you're good, but you're not perfect. That smushing, that evil, or that, that smushing and that pain is what we call evil, and evil messes up the cosmos. We know that. See, God didn't create evil. Evil comes because of our rebellious idolatry, that we've decided to attach ourselves and worship the elements of this natural world instead of the creator of this natural world. And when we affix ourselves and attach ourselves to that which he created instead of him, that which in itself has no life, we lose ours. And as a result, we end up here. So we say, no, no, I don't want to end up there because we have this sense of God. There's got to be something greater. He's got to be someplace else. And we've seen these hints that he's somewhere and where where we can be with him and we don't want to just stay in this spot. And so we create ways to get to him. We say, well, you know, if I'm a better person than that person or if I do good things, I can get out of here. If I give to the poor, I can get out of here. If I just think good thoughts, I can get out of here. If I create something wooden and, and, and say, you're a god, now get me out of here, it'll work. Or if I have a bunch of people praying for me, they can get me out of here. And then I can get up there. The startling announcement this morning is it's not that we're going to get up there, it's that up there is coming to us. You that are parents here this morning and you've raised children, did you ever have a child break a bone? How many of you that, have, that are parents have had a child break a bone? Okay. Denise, you had a child break a bone. How old? Six. Who was it? Allison, Allison broke a bone. What bone? Her arm. What, can you tell us what she was doing? Jumping on a water mattress outside, broke her arm. So what did you do? Just did you pay attention to the broken arm? What did you do? Took her to the ER and they came in and what they do? Put her in temporary cast. So some a pediatric orthopedist or somebody came in who's an expert and saw the brokenness and decided to heal it. Okay, but see, wouldn't it have been easier for you just to go up to the maternity room and say, "Here, this one's broken. Give me another one." You like her? Ah, so you didn't do that because you love her. See, here's the issue. We think because this world is so messed up that the creator of this world has decided that he's just going to get rid of it because it's broken. The creator has made this world with so much love that he has refused to just jettison it. He's just not going to get rid of it. In fact, the scriptures tell us that it gives him great joy And the phrase is to redeem it or to fix its brokenness. Now, you see, the Romans say, Caesar can fix it because he's Lord. The Greeks say, we have a whole list of gods. Pick one. He can probably be Lord. He can fix it. Or maybe all of them can fix it. And the Jews said, well, there's a Messiah coming, and when he gets here, he'll fix it. And the Christians said, no, here's what we've discovered that God so much wanted to fix this that he came to this earth himself and put on skin. And here we were broken. And he said, listen, let me take you that are broken, your brokenness, and put it on me because your brokenness is going to lead you to death. Put it on me. I will carry it so that you can be fixed and that you can return to what God designed for you to do in the very beginning. And so he puts it on himself, takes our brokenness, and takes our death. Not only does he do that, but then he confronts that evil which has disfigured and distorted his creation. He confronts it and overcomes it. And it's important that he did that in that manner, because God has always intended, and he said it from the beginning, that it would be humanity that would would rule this earth, that would take dominion over this earth, and God has not given up on that promise, and so here comes this one who is human, we call him Jesus, fully God, fully man, laid aside his divinity so that he could feel everything we feel as humanity and he takes upon himself our brokenness, he confronts the evil and he overcomes the evil and therefore he is declared Lord. You saw that in the scripture he read twice, it said Lord. Not just thrown in there because it's in a religious expression, it means supremacy over everything. Nothing could hold him back and he says to us, now that you're fixed, to follow me and do to, it together as you listen to me, we'll take dominion over this earth and you Also, take dominion over this. You're not stuck there. Because Jesus died and rose again. What does that mean for us? Paul, in a companion letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, dealing with the same issue, gives us this insight in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. It's called the firstfruits. During the Passover, which is a celebration of the liberation of the Jews from Egypt, from their bondage. That celebration declares they're liberated. It declares that the promises of God will be kept. It declares that they will be fruitful and multiply in this new land, which is the promise he made in creation and he's reapplying it here, letting us know he's not given up on that either. You will be fruitful and multiply. So they would bring the first of the barley harvest and hold it up to him and say, this is a declaration. We trust you who delivered us and our liberation is still in your hands and where this harvest came from, there's more to come because you will bless us and we will be fruitful and we will multiply. Jesus said, I am the first fruits of the dead. Meaning that where Jesus came from, the first fruit of the resurrected dead, there will come more who will be resurrected. And those who will be resurrected will find their liberation, will find the promises of God fulfilled, and they will be fruitful and multiply because they are following this first fruit. there will be many more. So when we die, what happens? Well, it's interesting that when Jesus was on the cross and the thief next to him said, remember me because I want to put my faith in you, Jesus said, do you remember what he said? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You're going to go where I'm going. Well, wait a minute. We know that that thief had his legs broken so that he would die and he, was, he died and they took him down and his body's in the ground. How can he be with Jesus? Because Jesus is in a different tomb. Understand that when we die, the scripture says our body sleeps, but our spirit remains with him. So the body is asleep. That... That as we are gone from this body, it is still in a sleep mode, if you will, but you say it's deteriorating. But in the spiritual realm, God wants us to understand that what he's doing is that he's going to fix this body. Well, what will it look like? Take a look at Jesus after his resurrection. That's what we get. That's what Easter guarantees. That's why Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, said, hey, I, I show you a mystery. Because this is really hard to understand. I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. We're all going to get that body. Because the big mystery is the big hope. There's an old Seinfeld episode, and how many ever saw a Seinfeld episode? You're all weird. I think it's Kramer walks into a sauna. And he utters these philosophical expressions. He walks into the sauna, sits down, gets real sweaty. He says, man, it feels like a sauna in here. Now, I see those who laugh understand Seinfeld. In the same type of humor, God makes this expression through his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 11.9. Here's what he says. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as what? The waters cover the sea. Have you ever thought about that expression? It's like jumping in the ocean and saying, Oh, there's water in here. Well, it's because it is water. What the prophet is declaring is the day will come that when you jump in the middle of the earth, you will say, God's presence is here. It is everywhere. That it's always been God's intention, always he's intended, that he would fill the earth with himself. It was this that that idea from the very beginning. And the day will come when you step into this world, you won't say, Where can I find God? You will know that he is everywhere because the world has changed. It has always been his intention that his image bearers would rule this world and fill it with his love. That's what he said he wanted. And from the creation of this world, the scripture tells us that he knew that it would be his son who would be the human that would lead the way. And that is what this world is waiting for. And I'm not just talking about the population of six or seven billion. I'm talking about the earth itself. For listen to these words Paul writes to the church at Rome, Romans 8:19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This earth is groaning. The earthquakes, the changes in weather pattern has intensified in this decade, in this century, and in the last century because the earth is groaning and it wants to see the time that you are changed into that new body because they know, or the, the world knows, that when that happens, it's next. And its ultimate is expressed by John who saw the ending of this world in a vision. And he declares it in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw what? A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what? A bride, beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them forever and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There is this moment coming that what God has planned from the very beginning will come to pass. The new Jerusalem, the bride city will be placed on this earth and what God had wanted from the very beginning, what that garden had given us, the Garden of Eden, was God and humanity together. And that new heaven will be affixed to this earth. When the Jewish groom was betrothing himself to the bride, amongst the cultural sayings would be this, now I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and as I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you so that, that where I am, you may be also. Because what it would transpire is after the betrothal, for a year or so, he would go and prepare a place at his father's estate. And then when the father would say, now is the time, and only the father knew when it was okay, he would go back and get her, and she would have to be ready. It is Jesus who turned to his disciples, and in that marriage vernacular, he said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you so that where I am, you may be also. For the church is his bride. Now, when the groom was told by the father, it's time to go get your bride he would take his wedding party and they would leave and sometimes it would be even at night. And the bride would have to be ready because if she's not ready, she's not going. And so as they moved close to where the bride would be, someone in the wedding party would step forward and declare, Behold, the bridegroom cometh and there would be a trumpet blast from the ram's horn and they would sweep down and they would pick her up and her wedding party and take her back to his place where they would finalize the wedding ceremony. Understanding that, Paul then says, you want to know what's going to happen to us? So he says to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice, Of the archangel, behold, the bridegroom cometh, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So I was raised, as my dad was a pastor in the church, with a belief that what we just read is imminent. We call it the snatching away. We call it the rapture. I, I, I remember that in those late 60s, early 70s, there was a song that was always being sung, and you might remember remembered it. It, it, was, it was sung by Larry Norman in the D.C. Talk, then picked it up, and it was, life was filled with guns and war and everyone got trampled on the floor. You know the rest of it? I wish we'd all been ready and it goes on and goes on and it ends up there's no time to change your mind the sun has come and you've been left behind and that song would echo in my mind and I would hear the sermons out of the scriptures there'll be two in the field one will be taken the other left there'll be two in the mill working one will be taken and the other left and so it was impressed on us that you need to be ready or you will be left and you don't want to be left so growing up in this holiness movement that I was in, I was told that you didn't want to be in a theater if Jesus returned because you would be held by the ceiling of that ungodly place. So I remember the first movie I went to, Love Story. Remember that one? The whole time I'm thinking, this is just an okay story, and I'm sure it's worth me getting left behind. My parents told me, y'all, you don't want to be dancing when Jesus returns because I was doing the Freddy in sixth grade because you'll be doing the Freddy with the Antichrist. It was a freaky thought. The reason we don't want to be left behind is because as you study the scriptures, you will find that it seems to say to us, if it's literal, that there will be seven years coming up sometime. The seven years when an evil being will begin to rise in prominence, we call him the Antichrist. There are a lot of Antichrists the Scripture mentions, but there is this one called the Antichrist who will rise to prominence politically because he will become the ruler of one world government. And you will not be able to buy or sell without his mark on either your forehead or your hand. And if you can't buy or sell, you'll die. He will be religious because he will set himself up in the temple and all in this world will need to worship him or they will be martyred. And he'll be satanic because all the power that Satan has will be placed into this being's control. And as he raises to prominence, God will then unleash his judgment upon the evil in this world. And it will be apocalyptic. And following that time, Jesus will return, and those who have put their faith in him will then rule with him forever. But see, the question has always been when will that happen? There are those who say that he will come and get his bride before that seven years begins. It's called the pre-tribulation rapture. And the bride will be taken up to meet him in the air. And then during those seven years, they will be out of the way in this great celebration, marriage celebration. And then when it's over, they will come back down for the second coming. So there's this rapture and then the second coming. There are those who say you'll go halfway through the tribulation. And then he will statue you up, and then you will come back down. And there are those who say that we will go all the way through the tribulation, and then he will come and get us. You say, well, Pastor, which is it? Yes. If we get to vote, I know what I'm voting for. but there is actually credible proof for all three which God did not make distinctly clear and some of you are sitting there but I got proof well good and I hope it's pre the issue is this whether it's got to be ready before it starts or we're halfway through or it's at the end you got to be ready because my concern is this if it is pre pre and he takes us before that tribulation. Don't you think you want to miss it? Not the snatching, but the tribulation? Are you ready? If it's halfway through, don't you think that your faith should be strong enough that you will make it through those three and a half years? And if it's all the way through, don't you think that you want to be able to be strong enough, that your faith will be strong enough, that you'll make it through whatever comes your way in those seven years because I will tell you let me give you a snapshot according to Revelation what will happen during that tribulation there will be horrible warfare there will be famine there will be pestilence wild beasts will be uncontrolled and attack people one fourth of the world will die initially There'll be martyrdom, there'll be earthquakes, sunlight will cease, stars will fall, mountains and islands will be dislodged, hail fire will come down from the sky, one third of the trees and the grass will burn up, fresh water will be poisoned, there'll be new creatures that look like locusts whose sting will be so severe that you wish you could die. One third more of the world will die, there'll be sores all over our bodies, hailstones and lightning for those who are not faithful." And that's why Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says, you've got to be ready. And if you don't have your faith strong, you won't be able to hold on to it as we progress through either the persecution that's on this earth now or that which will come in the tribulation. That's why in his writing to the churches in the book of Revelation, he says, to him who overcomes... You've got to overcome. you got to be strong enough and, and faithful enough that you have this great hope, this certainty. Because this we do know the Lord will suddenly appear. My next message to you about this deals with the fact he'll come like a thief in the night. You say, well, Pastor, I've heard that someone's saying right now, and there's this movement, according to the Mayan calendar and other people, that on May 21st, 2011, Jesus will return. It's possible but you can't predict it because only the Father knows. So when someone tells you it's this date, it could happen, but it could happen tomorrow too. In fact, Paul in his writings made it clear that he thought it would happen in his lifetime. But this we do know, that Jesus will be personally present, that those three people that I visited this week who had died will rise first. And they'll have a resurrection body. And we who are alive and remain will also then be changed, immortal, imperishable. And so the question is this, are we ready? So let me give you a test. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Now, how many of you actually saw the bear? Do you see the line? It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. Jesus said, for those who are looking, they'll be ready. That's what this letter to the Thessalonians is all about. Prepare yourself and keep looking for him. Because those who are looking live a lifestyle of looking. It's what Pastor Don talked about last week. It is not some religious formation of ideas and rules. It is the way that you live if you're looking. Because if you're not looking, he said, you won't see me. So here's my concern. If it gets tough before he returns, whether it is just before, if it's a pre rapture or, or pre tribulation rapture or if it's in the middle of it, my question is this. Well, we have too little too late. Too little knowing God. Too little understanding His promises. Too little trust. So then it's too late. If at this moment we've opened our lives to immaturity and sin, don't you think that as evil progresses it will exploit that part of your life? If Satan already has his hooks in your life with your pornography or, or your racism or your anger or your unforgiveness or your materialism, do you think it's going to be any easier when things get worse? That's why John, the one who had this revelation wrote to the churches and he said this in 1 John 3, 3, all of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. That resurrection power that lifted Jesus from the grave, he said, I give to all of you as believers so that you can reach that maturity, that you can reach that steadfastness, that no matter what happens, your faith remains in him. If right now you get ticked off because you miss a paycheck and wonder where God is, just think what it's going to be like when all the evil around you says there is no God. We can live ready and be strong. So what should we do The first thing I'd like to recommend to you is that you put your faith in Jesus. He's the only one that's risen from the grave and the one that's returning. Nobody else is doing that. And if you need to know more about his resurrection and it's true, we can spend some time with you and talk about it because 500 witnesses were there. They saw it. Secondly, clean up and look up. This is not a game. This is not some religious preference. He is coming back for those who are looking for him. And we've got to now, right now, at this moment, learn to trust him no matter what because he is our big hope and he is our only hope. stay here. Whether your faith is in Jesus or not, you're not staying here. But if your faith is in Jesus, then he says, you're my bride, but you've got to be ready. So if you're sitting here today and you say, I'm not even sure I have faith in Jesus, we want to help you. In fact, right where you're seated, all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I'm going to put my faith in you that you will you'll heal my brokenness, my my sin, Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all impurity. And just now say, I'm putting my faith in you. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready for when you come to get your church. And so I'm going to ask you that before you leave here today, you stop by the information desk. It's the West Service Center. Out these doors and just say, "I, I want the gift that Pastor talked about at the end of service, because it'll help you in this process of understanding who Jesus is and putting your faith in him. In addition to that, we have a class that we offer for you on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock called Alpha. It means the beginning. It'll talk to you and, and walk you through understanding who Jesus is. I mean, if you're really serious about it, then you need to do that, because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And for you that have already made that decision, my concern for all of us is this. What if, what if, First of all, you're messing around and thinking that at the last moment you're going to get God's forgiveness because you're not doing the things you should be doing and you know you're offending God. I cannot guarantee you that you're going to have time because it could be any moment. He said like a thief in the night. You've got to quit messing around. And so you say, I I want to stop, help me. Then get a hold of us at the office and we will help get you in the right place to walk you through whatever you're facing so that you let go of that stuff. Talk to the people in your small group. But we'll get you there. And for us, what if, what if, what if, we have to go through part of this tribulation? Are you strong enough to make it through that when you have to make a choice between Jesus and eating, you'll choose Jesus? Between worshiping Jesus and worshiping evil, because it's at the cost of your life? You say, "Oh yeah, if cost of my life, I'll do that. Well, you can't even make a decision whether it's golf or Sunday morning. So don't fool yourself. So what I'm telling you is it's time to get mature. We have classes that will get you mature. But you've got to get into them. We've got small groups that will help mature you. But I'm telling you, from what I can see in the world around us, the time is closing up very quickly, and Jesus will return, or we're going to enter into the most evil you've ever seen, and we better be ready. And so let me encourage you. We have availability, and you're not just going to get it by watching Christian TV. Because Christian TV can't say to you, are you living it? You've got to be face-to-face with people who will walk you through it. And the time is now. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I pray for all of us in this place today that we will have a a right sense of what you're saying and doing in the world and we'll be ready for you. Thank you. Thank you you're taking us into a a place that that is full of you and you're going to change this world and make it better. We thank you that we're going to rule and reign with you. Now help us prepare ourselves to be ready. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.